Welcome, everyone. We're back. Still going strong. I just got back from my own run in the rain. We must keep running, people, at least in countries where it's allowed. But we've got a big podcast for you today. Don't think nothing's going on. we got a lot. For those of you trying to qualify for the Olympics, we're sorry. <laughs> Don't be doing that. No Olympic qualifying until December 1st. The 2022 world dates are set. We will talk about the biggest running event in the world right now. The Backyard Ultra is in the books. We're going to have a little Who Would You Rather Be? Dathan Ritzenhain or Evan Jager? And a fellow LRCer. We will be talking to Dr. Michael Joyner. He's trying to save the world. He's with the Mayo Clinic. You guys probably first know him as being the guy who said we would see a sub-two-hour marathon way before we did. And now he's one of the leaders In the fight against COVID-19, he's with the National COVID-19 Convalescent Plasma Project. And we talked to him for about 20 minutes about what he's doing and how being a runner has helped him every day tackle this disease and project. So, Jonathan, Robert, how are you guys? Welcome. Doing okay. It's pretty dreary here in Brookline, which is annoying. The last couple of days was really nice in the Boston area. Today, if I go out for a run... Won't be as nice, but if that's the worst thing I'm complaining about, I'm I'm doing I'm doing okay. Well then, I'm doing great. Trying to stay upbeat yet again this week, and I have great news to report, folks. I was a little down on my running last week. No, no more. Just finished another run myself, John. <laughs> the three hundred dollar bet that you backed out of because you lacked the confidence in yourself. Does this mean we're back on? John, we'll get to that later. People don't want to hear us talk about ourselves <laughs> quite yet. I'm sure Expert masterclass at dodging questions there by Rojo. I think by tax day, John, he should have to make the bet. Decide one way or the other. Is he in or out? This is the bet whether Robert can ever run a sub-three-hour marathon again. He's a former 222 marathoner. In the prime of his life, only 46 years old, he should be no problem. Fake news. I only ran 223.13 on a downhill course. Of course, I wasn't wearing the Vaporfly, so... Yeah, just think about the shoe. Actually, this is this is a stupid bet on my end because in about three years' time, Nike's probably going to have like the Vaporfly twenty percent, and Robert will be able to wear those, and he'll only have to run like three forty or four hours, and he'll be the equivalent of a you know he'll still run sub sub three. And also, I forgot to say, speaking of the Backyard Ultra, the winner of the Backyard Ultra, Michael Wardian, forty five years old, Robert, he shows you still can do it at your age. We had a special podcast, Rojo and him, that dropped yesterday, so listen to that if you haven't. I haven't, because we're recording this the same day before. This doesn't make sense, people. We're going back in time right now, so I'm looking forward to that myself. And we got sponsors, people. Crazy time right now. You got to stay healthy. You got to perform at your best. If you want to do those things, thefeed.com has you covered. They've got immunity-boosting packs. They got the Martin Sports Drink. They got the AeroFit Respiratory Muscle Training Device. They got vitamin E, vitamin D, everything you want as a runner to perform. They've got gels, everything. Go there, thefeed.com slash let's run and use code let's run to save 15% off your order. All right, well, let's hop in on this news. The biggest news I, I would say of the week is the World Athletics decision to suspend Olympic qualifying until December 1st. That means no, if we get running this summer, which is becoming increasingly less likely, but you know, World Athletics has said they want a track season at some point in 2020. But if we get one, none of the performances will count if you get an Olympic standard and the world rankings are suspended until December 1st. 
There are several athletes unhappy about this. What do you guys think? I agree with half the decision and think half of it was totally stupid. So suspending the world rankings, that makes sense to me. I mean, some countries, China, are coming out of this COVID-19 thing. If you're a, co- if you're a Chinese track and field athlete, you could be competing right now helping your ranking while others can't be doing that. But I just don't understand why. If you hit the standard, you hit the standard. So, you know, I think we're going to be ready to have some meets or at least time trials soon. Why not give people something to shoot for? I mean, of course, I do think, John, that some of this is a controversy about nothing because for the most part, if you're talented enough to hit that standard, you're going to go to the Olympics. You're not going to not go to the Olympics because – you didn't have a standard. I think the number of cases will be tiny. Of course, if you're a potential Olympian, you don't want to take that. Yeah, but I mean, Robert, think about 2019, okay? So Josh Thompson. Now, Josh Thompson does have the Olympic standard no, now. But 2019, he didn't have it at USA's, didn't get to go at Worlds. He was running really well. I mean, he could have been a potential World Championship finalist and didn't get to go because he didn't have the standard. And now these standards are even harder in twenty for the next Olympics than they were for the 2019 Worlds. So... I think if you have a late developer, it's possible that someone could miss out when they really are Olympic quality. But the point of this new ranking system is the ranking will get you in the Olympics, not the standard. The U.S. still hasn't clarified how they're going to do their teams, but the absolute Olympic standard is, I think it's intended so what, like 15 people in the world can hit it? Some very small number, right? Yeah. Well, the USATF, no, they've said uh, they'll take it based if you have... If you're in position to qualify based on your ranking or if you have the Olympic standard, they'll take both of those. Guys, speaking of USATF, it seems kind of popular for highly paid CEOs to be taking pay cuts. Has Max Siegel announced any, is he giving anything back? There's, I'm sure there's lots, lots of USATF members are hurting financially. A lot of track athletes aren't getting prize money, aren't making any money. Can we take that $1 million down, $1 million salary down to maybe something more modest like... 500,000? Well, I haven't seen him taking any salary cuts, but I have to imagine that their private jet usage is going way down, so they're probably saving money there. It's unbelievable to me that guy makes a million here. I, I, I just, I, I can't get it. John, we, we've talked about this in the past. We've talked to Diamond Leagues, right? How much does it cost to put on a Diamond League? It's like 2 million, right? I so don't we know. Could, we could just probably find some retired guy who's very competent that could run this thing and then fire Max, and we'd be halfway to having another Diamond League meet in the United States. I don't know why I'm going off of Max Siegel. I've never met the man, but I'm just, for some reason. Never met him? Wow. Shocked. Anyway, I guess the question is, the Nike contract, right? Is that just every year, no matter what? If But if there's no, there's no already the Olympics have been canceled, will Nike try to withhold the money they owe USATF? It'll be, we haven't really thought about whether in the details of that contract... And if Nike pulls some of their money from USATF this year, USATF's in a lot of trouble. But a lot of the Olympic governing bodies are in trouble, as we discussed in, on last week's podcast. I mean, the USOPC put in, asked for, what was it, like 200-something million in the bailout, and they didn't get any of it. But pretty much every business, well, not every business in America is hurting, but like the repercussions of this, the longer we stay shut down, you know, it's going to reverberate through society. It's already had huge, huge, huge impacts. But sports are going to be one of the last things back. I just think, I mean, sports with fans at least. So it's going to be interesting to see how that goes and how it impacts, you know, professional sports, but also Olympic sports. But, and that's the thing. I think we could easily have a track meet or time trials with no fans. So why not let the A qualifiers count? John, you're in agreement. 
the qualifiers should count. The rankings should be suspended. Well, I think the three of us, right, all agree with that or not? Yeah, this. I mean, this is Evan Jager had this same idea on Twitter. He said, pretty disappointed about this decision. Even if COVID-19 clears up in some countries and it's safe to compete, World Athletics takes away a major motivation to run fast this year. I understand freezing the world rankings, but I feel achieving the Olympic standard should be on the table. And I kind of, I agree with that. Like running the Olympic standard, essentially the standards are in place to show that you are good enough to run at the Olympics. If you run the standard, that proves that fact. And then for World Athletics to say, well, yeah, you did that last year, but we it didn't happen in a meet that we acknowledge, I think is kind of silly. Now, it's not a complete zero-sum game. There are some people in smaller countries who are going to say, well, if someone from, like, you know, Nigeria runs an Olympic standard in the 5K, that's one fewer spot available in the field. But I don't know. I mean, Emma Coburn, essentially, this was her tweet on it. She said World Athletics logic was, if I can't have it, nobody else can. What are we, a bunch of four-year-olds? What is this logic? And then she had a monkey covering its eyes emoji. And I, not everyone shares those opinions. Katerina Stefaniti was the Olympic pole vault champion. She was one of the people who disagreed and said, look, it's not fair if some people get the standard and some can't. But I don't know, the way I see it, people had all of 2019 to get the standard. They've got the first six months of 2021 to get the standard. There's going to be time for people to get the standard. I think in 2020, just let them count. But this also gets into the other issue of we at Let's Run. We think the standards are so stupid to begin with. If a country has three people with the standard and they're going to be sending three anyways, they should be allowed to send whatever three they want. I know the World Athletics doesn't want to make this special case for the U.S. Olympic trials. I know they're very much aware of the fact, though, that in America, like it's all about the Olympic trials and the Olympics. And they should be pumping that meet up. The U.S. Olympic trials is one of the greatest track and field meets in the world. There's no doubt about that. You know, we we don't want we're going to have it again. Where oh, does this person have the standard? Oh, do they have the world ranking? It shouldn't be an issue. Basically, we're going to be sitting three in almost every single event. We shouldn't be having to, to have this stupid conversation. We're wasting time. I want to talk about something else. Wait, before we get there, Robert, let's just remember the precedent that World Athletics set in February: the Olympic marathon trials. They gave in to that system. They they said, top three past the line, get the Olympic standard, because there was more than three people in the field who would have qualified. So there is a window open that you, the USATF can say, hey, let us have it for the marathon. Why not the track trials, which are a 10-day meet and the best meet in the United States every four years? And one of the reasons, I think we should take a little credit for that. We hype that cause up a lot. And I know people at World Athletics see that, like, but it was sort of good. The running community, I shouldn't say we, I should say the running community in general, but like Let's Run got behind that. The running community got behind that. I think if people stay on a subject enough, most people in charge of the sport want good things to happen. And it's just simpler if at the Olympic trials, the top three go when the country would already be sending three. So if somehow the world rankings can reflect that or meets can be accepted for that, it's a good thing for the sport. All right, guys, do we want to talk about the other administrative item from last week? World Athletics has also set the 2020, 2022 World's Dates in Eugene. It's going to be the earliest World Championships in history. No Worlds has ever started before August 1st. This Worlds, folks, is going to start on July 15th, 2022, and finish on Let's Run.com Founders Days, Weldon and Robert's birthdays, July 24th. We'll probably be celebrated in the middle of the middle of the field. Anyways, what do you think of this, guys? I think it's fine. I mean, honestly, 
I, I don't think it really matters that much as long as it was somewhere in the sort of July. Look, World Championships in June, okay, that'd be pretty silly. But I think somewhere in the July, August window is fine. And we already know the reason why these dates were chosen, why it's so early, is because the Commonwealth Games are going to be held in Birmingham from July 27th through August 7th. And the European Championships are scheduled in Munich, August 11th to the 22nd. Both of those meets are part of big multi-sport competitions. The Commonwealth and the Europeans, every four years, the Europeans have all their sports championships in the same city. So it's not it's not happening this year in Paris, but it is, or if it still happens in Paris. But it is in Munich in 2022. So they wanted to have the Worlds not interfere with that. The options are have it before those or have it after those. And I think it's nice for us to think, oh yeah, we'll have it at the end of the season. That's the culmination of the track season. But... Guess what? If you have it after the Europeans, you're running up against football. That is not the American football, and that's not the way to get the sport popular in the U.S. So I kind of think, you know, is it is it perfect to have it in the middle of July? No, but I think it's it's fine, and people are just excited to have the Worlds in the USA. I'm fine with it. I think I don't know. I think having Worlds at the end of the season ideally is best. Doha was fabulous. It's the best World Championship ever, performance wise, and people are like, oh, you can't have a Worlds that late. Everybody timed their peak for that. It was perfect. But it does conflict with soccer and whatnot. But clearly it worked in Doha. I feel like, yeah, in the U.S. maybe you don't want to go up against football. But, like, I think the summer actually might be good because there's not a lot of sport going on. But, John, I think it was last night. Maybe it was two nights ago. I started getting texts from you. Friend of Let's Run, Alan Abramson, he hates the decision. His article is out, 2022 Worlds. How not to grow track and field in the United States. And his premise, well, John, you didn't really see a premise, right? It doesn't make any sense. His, You're so like, upset about this. He argues this is the a horrible decision. If you want it, like the whole idea is we should be trying to grow the sport in the United States, building up to the 2028 LA Olympics. Totally agree. He's saying by moving the world's date to the middle of July, USATF and you know World Athletics are totally failing in that mission. I don't. He doesn't. He never at any point explains what dates would be better to hold the world championships. The middle of July. He's like the middle of July. No sports hold their championships. Then it doesn't make any sense. And like, first of all, not true. The World Cup almost always is in the middle of July, and it's not in twenty twenty two, which makes it perfect because then also Wimbledon's and ends in the middle of July. But anyway. In 2022, it's basically you have like probably the end of Wimbledon. I think Wimbledon will probably be over by July 15th. And then there's the MLB All-Star Game. And then there's nothing on the sports calendar. So it's perfect to hold a major tournament when there is nothing to compete with. It, it makes no sense to me why he's saying this is a bad decision for growing the sport in the USA. USA. It just makes no sense at all. Alan's always been nice to me and said uh, I was welcome to give a guest lecture at his class he's a professor at some southern california school i've never done that but this article is just idiotic like I, I don't get it like yes they made the dates to please the europeans but that doesn't mean that it's bad for the u.s for me as a diehard track fan i would rather see it at the end of the summer i actually think for the casual sports fan it's perfect timing there's nothing going on in the u.s then there's no hint of nfl at all in the, the in the middle of july really so baseball is in a lull not much it's not pennant fever you can focus on track it's not like you know pe I, I wanted it at the end at the end just because we could have had you know the normal diamond league season then while the rest of the world takes this break to go to commonwealths and europeans we could have had the u.s tr trials 
when nothing else is going on. Now there's going to be a a lull time for the U.S. pros after Worlds. But it's not like the casual sports fan is going to be following the Zurich Diamond League anyways. So just not a good argument. Yep. Uh, I think some ways having it actually in the middle of summer with no World Cup that year might be perfect. Like you said, John, the World Cup's in sort of this dead period. I guess the World Cup's going to overshadow anything. But with no other sports, it's great. Like, if you put ping pong on TV right now, like, I would watch it. Wait, why aren't they doing that? John, not playing ping pong either you... well, then. People were playing tennis in my town till some people complained, and now they shut down that and the beach. Okay, but that's not televisable. They're not going to show people playing pickup tennis in Connecticut. This is insanity. I might watch it. Why would they shut down tennis? If assuming you're playing with somebody you live with, all you're doing is touching the same ball. Well, presumably tennis may not be playing with someone they live with, but yeah, I think that at some point we're going to have to start talking about going back to normal or some normal, the new normal. And we had this huge blunt thing to stop it, which was good, but like, we're going to have to start talking really soon, like ways to come back. And it's going to be interesting in the United States. I think we might have some trouble because certain States are going to do it differently. But I was reading today, like, hospitals are firing people because they're empty. Obviously not in New York and these hotspots, but, like, you know, a hospital in Oklahoma can't do any procedures, can't do anything. Like, it seems like we need some sort of happy medium. But playing tennis, I had seen on the Today Show a doctor say, yeah, you play tennis, just be careful. You touch the same ball as somebody else, so just be aware of that. Don't touch your face. But it's like with running, you know, people are now being arrested for running out there. In America? Not in America. That reminds me. Let me let, let's pull up this post. Okay, guys, I found it. Are you guys aware of this? That a Let's Run poster, G G G G G. That's five G's. Was arrested for running. In what country is is G G G G? Wilson Kipsang? Because Wilson Kipsang was arrested for running in Kenya. Oh no, no, he was arrested for staying out in a club or like a bar. I think late night past curfew. We might have to do an article on everyone arrested. Runners, famous runners arrested during curfew and people arrested for running. So GGGG, um, he posted, this is like two days ago, I was arrested today for, quote, jogging outside. And immediately people are saying this is bullshit. And I'm like, I, I've, you know, I've got moderator privileges. So I just checked get location. I can see where someone's posting from. And it said Israel. And right away I knew it was true. Because I was talking to an ad ops guy this this week and I was like, hey, how are things in Israel? He's like, well, you know, cases aren't too bad, but like, we can't do anything. I'm like, well, what do you mean? He's like, well, we can't go running. I was like, well, where do you live? Are you in a city? He's like, no, I'm in kind of a town, but you can only go in your front yard. Like you could run back and forth in your front yard. I was like, what? That's crazy. And he's like, yeah, it is kind of crazy. I'm like, well, do people think running is unsafe? You know, running by yourself. And I asked Michael Joyner this later of the Mayo Clinic. And he's like, yeah, go outside and run. But he's also like, follow the rules and place in your town. But running by yourself, safe. And I was asking this guy in Israel, I'm like, what's the deal? And he's like, well, essentially they think people will cheat. So they have, they crack down on everything just so people won't go outside for anything. But to me, you don't want to have bad rules in place. If you clamp down too hard, if there's a wave two of shutdowns, people are going to be like, uh, F it. You want to have the most limited measures in place to stop this thing is my opinion because you want people to comply with whatever measures are in place so ggg people are like oh this is bullshit and then they said prove it and he uploaded the ticket he got 
It's for 500 shekels, 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 which is 139, 140 US dollars. So he was violating the law. I don't think you're allowed to do that. So thankfully in the United States, we haven't have, had to come to that conclusion, whether you want to go outside and run. But there's no, people then linked to a threat. A woman in Spain was arrested for running. You know, the c- cops like tackled her. I read about a, a man and a woman in the US who... Let, let me interrupt here, Walden. I mean, I think there's two ways to go with this. I would be fine with a total lockdown. You can't go outside if it was much shorter. Like one month, nobody goes outside for one month and then we're done with it. Instead of some ongoing four or five month thing where you or really can't go to work, but you can go outside occasionally. That's a pie so, in the sky solution though, Robert. It's not feasible. Well, I mean, China basically had a, had this lockdown for 76 days and now they're, they're opening up. I'd rather, I, knowing what I know now, I'd rather have complete lockdown just so you know that people are following the rules. But Whatever. Can we talk about something else? Can we talk about the running event that actually did happen last week? The Backyard Ultra with Robert breathing fire on the message boards? This is the other thing I got text with about at like midnight. I did not follow it live, but Robert was hot and heavy all into this thing. And then I think the Ultra Mob, they almost came after him. It was I got well, emails from... They did! From Steel Town Runner. Steel Town Runner is a friend of Let's Run, but I feel like he's the pioneer guy... Most knowledgeable guys about ultras in the world, in my opinion. So let's let's explain people. Take a step back. Let's explain what was happening, folks. So a backyard ultra. A lot of visitors on Let's Run have no idea what this is. You run. It's an ultra marathon that's designed to sort of minimize, equalize. You know, there's no advantage to being super fast runner, which generally helps in races to be a super fast runner. It makes it easier to win a race if you're faster than other runners. The Robert explaining the basics of running. Here. This is some serious knowledge. Take notes, high schoolers. In this race, it's supposed to be more about mental fortitude, but I still think being a better runner would help. But basically, you have to run a one four point one six seven mile loop every hour. You have to start at the top of the hour. Uh, we'll get into that in a second. What starting means, and then in a normal one, everyone's in the same place. You run this loop as long as you finish in an hour, you're good to go. You can rest if you run in thirty minutes. You've got thirty minutes to rest. If it takes you 50 minutes, you have 10 minutes to rest. You can do whatever you want. But at the start of the next hour, they blow a whistle. Everybody gets at the start line and does it again. Why is it 4.167 miles? Because after 24 hours, that means you've run 100 miles. So obviously, people could not do this in one spot. So people at peak performance, I think, at some online coaching site, they organized this thing. And they had over 2,500 entrants worldwide. And the rules were kind of interesting. You could do whatever you wanted. You could run on a treadmill. You could run in a loop around your house. You could run it on a track. It didn't matter. You just had to prove that you were running it. So pretty quickly, it was actually less than two days, they get down to just two people. Quickly? I mean, that's 200 miles in 48 hours, Robert. That's, I mean, I'm pretty impressed by anyone who makes it like even 12 hours. That's pretty good. And like no sleeping, no nothing. It's kind of nuts if you think about it. I mean, it's going to take most people probably after this thing's going on, like 40 minutes to run the four miles. Well, I'm, I'm a little disappointed we didn't talk about this more in the podcast last week. I don't even know who knew it, we knew it existed. Like, we should have had Jonathan try to do it for 24 hours, or even myself. F that? 100 miles? <laughs> Robert, you wouldn't have even made it five hours. I, probably not. That would have been my... I mean, four miles is a long run. But... I just, I, or what I really wanted to do was to get like a 29 minute 10k guy from college to see how long he could make it. It'd be great, you know. Some coach, start, we we should do that. 
If you're a 29 flat 10K guy and you've got nothing to do right now, we'll crowdfund it. We'll try to pay you $1,000 if you can make it. How long should we say? 48 hours? Anyway, 48, I feel like, like it's pretty. No, I think if you make it, give him a bonus for making it like 36 or something. Even like 24 hours for a 29 minute. 24? Yeah, that's 100 miles. How many 29 minute guys have run 100 miles in a 24 hour period? None. Okay, we're talking about a lot of things here, folks. Guys, the coolest thing about this Backyard Ultra, and I don't have this kid's name, a 13-year-old boy made it more than 24 hours. If a 13-year-old boy can do it for 24 hours and not have his parents be arrested for child abuse, then certainly... There are 13-year-old boys out there who can dunk, Robert. Does that mean that I can dunk? Wait, we should not have held this Backyard Ultra. I don't think we should be allowed to talk about it anymore. Certain countries are not allowed to run outside, so this wasn't fair. We're promoting <laughs> unsafe. We were promoting unsafe. No stuff. backyard ultras until December first. <laughs> when it's proven the backyard ultra spread the pandemic for another two months and ruined the economy and put us into Great Depression number two, we'll regret talking about this. But I've, I'm outvoted. I guess you guys. Right, anyway, here is why this was so controversial. So we get down to two runners on Monday night. So it started Saturday morning, and it's yes. And it, go ahead, Robert. Radek Bruner, right, of the Czech Republic. Yep. He's running in his basement, I think. He's on a treadmill. You can see his little treadmill set up. And then Michael Wardian, 45-year-old, Northern Virginia, three-time Olympic trials qualifier. He's also run twice a marathon on all seven continents. He's actually won a marathon on all seven continents. Anyways, they're battling mono mono. We get to 11 o'clock on Monday night. Eastern on Monday night. And uh, Radek's Treadmill has been empty, but a lot of times he just shows up like 30 seconds before. And what well, Weldon has a question. So the whole time when there's 2,500 people, everyone was on video. You can't have 2,500 people on video, right? The final two is just video or? No, they had like 18 on the video. And then as people would die out, they would add in some other people. No, they only had they had an elite field. Only the people in the elite field were on the video. And there was no more than like 18. I don't think even Roddick might not have even started on the, on the video. So anyways... I had heard from Steeltown Runner, podcast listener, that he's like, yeah, the fascinating thing about this is like, you know, the psychology and you try to psych people out because like, it just ends when the next person quits. So if there's only, if there's like three people left and you're, and you realize the other two look way better than you, do you really want to run another 30 miles and then know you're going to lose anyway? So you might just bag out. So there's kind of this, you know, normally there's this sort of psychological game going on, but I was wondering, like, Roddick wasn't on the screen. I was like, maybe he doesn't want to see what Wardian's doing. He just wants... So about How many hours, Robert, were you watching this for? I would just... You only need to watch... I, I, if I was on the computer and I looked at, like... If I looked that it was right before the hour, like 10 minutes before the hour, I would turn it on to see what was happening, to see them start and see them like, see who's looking better. And I was about to go to bed, so I was trying... My, my only freedom when Clayton goes to bed, my son, is, like, from 9.30 to 11.30. So I kind of like to get on the internet and waste time, basically. So is Wardian carrying a phone with him while he's running outside, or you just see him come back every hour? He's got a phone like set up, and like it's just set up on the road. It was a loop, and the loop was only four tenths of a mile, right, Robert? So he runs by about ten times during while he's running. Yeah, and it was pretty savage. I was reading the message board that I was trying to analyze it. People were saying that the the Czech guy had fallen off the back of his treadmill. I'm not actually sure if that's true. People were saying he was a little unsteady. But 11.30 in the morning here is like 5.30 in the morning in Czech Republic or, or five, you know, 4 or 5.30. So he's getting ready to have morning, which really helps the runners. It's harder to run at night. You know? So 
I, 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 of course, post on the message board, well, it's getting to be ready to be the middle of the night. Wardian's screwed. This Czech guy looks pretty good when I've watched him run the last rep. And then, of course, within a few minutes, the Czech guy had lost the race and Wardian wins. So the top of the hour comes up and normally the Czech guy like takes off his shirt and he like likes to sort of show off and put on another shirt. And he gets on his treadmill. He was drink, sipping some tea and the hour starts and he doesn't start running. He doesn't start walking. He's messing with his treadmill. He's messing with like an iPad or something. And I'm like, what's going Unconfirmed on? Unconfirmed rumors is he was trying to start the next episode of Tiger King. <laughs> and so after about 40 seconds, so Lazarus Lake, Gary Cantrell, the guy that is sort of invented the, the Backyard Ultra and is the famous uh, Barclays Marathon founder, he's, he's there sort of there as like a guru. He's on the screen too, always commenting and kind of joking with the guys. And he's like, what's going on? And then the, the race announcer or organizer was like, Hey, he tries to talk to the guy. Radic, it's been 40 seconds. You need to get going. And you could tell that he, he can't hear anything because he doesn't turn his head or anything. He's just oblivious. And then when it gets to about a minute or something, like Gary Cantrell is like, that's it. Done. And I was like, no way. I was like screaming at the computer. I was like, you got to start running, dude. You got to start running. And they're like, that's it. He's DQ'd. And I couldn't believe it. it I was irate. And may or may not have done some things that I regret. <laughs> No, what's here? I want to know. Like, Steel Town Runner sent some email like you did something terrible. I read a thread. You think it was fine. What'd you do? Well, I, I think I, I, this Easter season. Didn't you, know, you challenge Wardian's manhood, I, Robert? You gotta confess. Um, well, I, I, I tried to. I, I sent direct messages on Twitter to the Peak Performance Twitter account and to Mike Wardian. What? Mike is running the race. Robert is DMing him. <laughs> Wardian, oh, so he hasn't won. He, they DQ the guy, but Wardian has to finish the loop. Otherwise, he does not win. And Wardian, to his credit, crushed it in like 31 minutes. He ran like seven-minute pace. This is what he I don't know. Did Wardian know that this other guy had gone? Like, they must have been yelling at him that, right? No, so apparently, and that's part of the podcast, Wardian's got his whole entire neighborhood into this thing. His neighbor had just set up a projector onto his house so all night Wardian could watch the screen of what was a going on. A projector in the all, house? That's all, amazing. Yes. While he was running. I hope they were social distancing. Yeah, they, they were Virginia's all... Virginia's hardcore shut down, I think, till June. Look out. They were all into it. Um, and so... Wait, Wardian, so... They said DQ, so Wardian's wife or someone heard that and told them. So there was like celebration, like two minutes in. They're like, yeah! You know, and he's like, well, I got to finish it. So I think he just did it to show off. Like, But in the interview, in my podcast with Wardian, like when I talked to him yesterday... He said he was feeling great, which is fascinating because his goal initially was just to break the, the, the longest that he had ever run, which was like 300 kilometers, which is like, what, 186 miles. And when he had gotten to 175 miles, he just quit. The night before, he's like, I'm done. His wife's like, what? Are you hurt? She's like, no. He's like, I just don't feel like doing this anymore. She's like, sorry, that's not good enough excuse. No so false gump Ward excuses allowed. Michael Wardian's wife is a complete badass. So he got back into it. He said a day later. I mean, he did 262 miles, right? So 90 more miles later, he said he was feeling amazing. He was like, yeah, I thought I could go forever. I was thinking the only way I lose this is if I'm hit by a car and killed. Oh, God. So, I mean, this guy's savage. Wait, the, te so the Czech guy was savage, too. I mean, we, we need to make a video of this, someone highlighting this, because people still don't understand. So the, 
The check guy directed their DQ. I'd have been like, screw that. I'm gonna keep going. I would just start running myself. He was there on the start line. He should just start up on his treadmill. And the keep rules going. say oh, you gotta. Stop I don't care what the rules say. I'm on the treadmill. I we live going. in a society of order. Races have rules. They have to be. He, and here's the other thing. Here's the other thing. Weldon, he'd done this for 62 laps. Prior to that, he'd always started on time, and he knows top of the hour you got to start running. That's written clearly in the rules. He did it 62 Quiet, two John. times. Why didn't he do it the 63rd time? Okay, that, that, that's not the question I'm asking. I want to know what happened once they said your DQ. Did he like flip people off? Did he cry? Okay, did he no, so, okay I'll get into that. I, I should have. I did put out a, my, my tweet of the race director. Well, you haven't told us what you told Wardian and the guy. Okay, me. there's a lot to tell here. I did make a video of the race director. Then gets on there, and there's no crying in baseball, folks. But there is crying in ultra. The race commentator slash director starts crying and says, "We the rules are rules. We have to do it." So at some level, I kind of respected he had the guts to do it, but then I was like, no, man, no. Did the Barkley guy do it or the other guy? Because I did see a crying video. No, that wasn't was, the Barkley guy. It was guy. the race director was, who was not the Barkley, not Gary Gensler. After the Barkley guy did it? The Barkley, Barkley guy, guy was the first DQ, right? He just walked off. He's like, he's done. And then he left. Like, that was it. He was no longer on the video. I don't know why. He just was tired. So some of the debate is like, did the guy mentally lose it? And that's part of this thing. But if this is a real life ultra, like folks, you could just run one step and then lie down. So I was like, how do you know that he didn't argue that he didn't remove one step, one inch on his treadmill? Now, they had a rule though on the thing. It said you need to start the treadmill. He didn't start the treadmill. Well, it might have been on. He might have turned it on. So does start the treadmill mean start moving it or does it mean turn it on? I would say it start means start moving it. What if he wanted to switch out and go outside for that hour? The more I think about it, the rule is stupid. He was on the start line at the hour. That should be good enough. You should no, have to right. start there. That's what I said. The intent of the rule is they don't want fast people to run it, run a 30-minute segment and then get to sleep for an hour and then run another 30-minute segment. They want people to have to basically be, you know, be, have limited sleep. So he didn't violate the intent of the rule. He just sort of violated the, the technical aspect of the rule. To me, this is the equivalent of sort of like – I. I Older people didn't like this. I said stepping on the line in the middle of the race. But it was clear. It said start the treadmill. He didn't start the treadmill. He was out. Now, well, what did he do? They had no way of telling him. He couldn't hear anything. His audio was clearly on mute. He said after the fact that he was watching it on Facebook, and the Facebook stream of the Zoom conference was way behind. So that's what he said. So I don't know. But um, so they said, well, we're going to try to reach and get in touch with him. They had like a translator. He speaks some English. So in the middle of the thing, the phone rang. They talked to him, but he kept running. He banged it out. And then Wardian finishes so quickly in 30 minutes. Wardian comes back and is like, he looks on the screen. He's like, well, why is he running? And this is when, and the, the race organizers did admit they didn't do a good job of explaining this. I thought they should have said to him, hey, he got on the treadmill. He didn't start for two minutes. He couldn't hear us. And we've decided to give him. Wardian said, hey, man, I'll run more. Because they've run, what, 63 loops? The record for any... Backyard Ultra is 68. So Wardy wanted to break that record. Now, Gary Cantrell said it wouldn't count as a record, which who cares? He could always say, I ran more than anyone else. So Wardy wanted to run. I thought Wardy would, would sort of see this as illegitimate and want to keep going. So I was hoping that they would get the check guy on it and they would say, no, we're going to keep going. Just the two of us. Like, who cares? If you DQ me, why not keep running? But the feed cut out conveniently right at this point, and they never got the check guy on there. So he didn't get to explain himself. There was never any talk with him. He was just gone. And they were like changing feeds. Every time I click on, the feed would be gone. Like, so the feed updated every few hours or something? 
I don't know. I mean, admittedly, the race directors are, are tired themselves. I don't think it was a conspiracy to cut off the feed. It was just whatever. Wardy wanted to keep running because he wanted to get that record. I still wish, like, I think it's hard to think when you've been out for 63 hours straight. I just wish the two of them had ignored the race rules. Imagine if they were still running right now. How cool would this be? These guys said, Robert, they'd be dead. They wouldn't be able to keep running by now. They would be legends. It would be on ESPN right now. They'd be legends. Yeah, it'd be live stream. So, a normal backyard ultra, people are all at one spot. I think this is actually better. I think it's better when you can do it where you own. I don't know how you actually prove they're actually doing it. That's the problem with this. They could be cheating. Their GPSs could be off. I'm not saying obviously that happened, but like a guy's on the start line. He doesn't t- if he takes one step, it's okay. I mean, yeah, they kept going. I mean, I think it's it's way easier to. Well, if you're on a treadmill, it's hard. Well, to he, here's the other thing. Why is it a rule that you can't keep going if you don't have anyone to run against? I mean, that just seems silly. If the, if Wardian wants to break the record and the record's 68 laps and he's at 63. Why does he need someone else to be able to run against to break the record? It's absurd. He should just be allowed to keep going, go for 70 or something, get the record. Why, why is that rule in place? It's the last man standing. That's the, that's the type of race it is. He's I mean, still standing. We know he's the last man standing. This is like style points. If he wants to go, they should be, he should be able to keep going. What rule? Now, this is it. I mean, how does it benefit anyone by making him stop? John, one year the Bigs Backyard Ultra... A guy had to catch a flight back to like Europe or something. So they both, there's two guys left, or maybe been a guy and a woman. They agreed to shut it down together. And then Gary DeContrell DQ'd them both, and there was no winner. (laughs) That's what I would expect to happen. The rule is in this race, everyone is a DNF except for for the winner. Go ahead, John. Call it. You know how we had the term baby nationals? Go ahead, John. Trash it. Trash ultra running. Come on, That's John. Do it. Doing. I can't do it. I think what, <laughs> Jim Walmsley and crew are way too popular. It was incredibly impressive. Two hundred so sixty-three laps. That's sixty-three hours without sleep. Two hundred and sixty-two point five miles for Mike Wardian in just over, you know, in two and a half days. I mean, or it's incredible. But I just think the rule, as written, that he's not allowed to keep going is a ridiculous rule. Remove it from the books. Okay, I think that's enough. No, 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 it's not. I got a lot more to go on this. A lot more. A lot more. So, people don't care. Can we come back to it? No, they do care. First Race of all, the decade, well, man. Robert, make your, make your is, points quickly here. We're losing the general running fan with all this ultra talk. Warden is a complete badass. Both these guys are complete badasses. He one time ran around the Beltway in Washington, D.C., which is like 95 miles and 96 degree temperature. Like He just does done for the heck. Last week, for no reason, other than to entertain his neighbors, he ran a marathon on this same block, which is like 0.2 back and forth over and over. He's 45 years of age. He ran it in 233. This guy is sick. It's amazing. So... I saw the he, DMs, but, Robert. He has a real job, right? Like, what's his real job? He has his own uh, sh- maritime shipping company. He's like sending food between here and Africa. Like, for the, it's, it's pretty amazing. He's got his own company. Now, listen to this, Weldon. He he's up for sixty three straight hours. He said by the time they took down his aid stations, it's more. It's like sixty five or sixty six hours. What did he do? He immediately worked on his own company until five a.m. Slept for forty five minutes. Forty five minutes, John. Got up, worked another full day. When I talked to him yesterday, he had slept on Tuesday, no, on Wednesday. He had slept four hours and 15 minutes since Saturday morning. This guy, 
mark my words, he's the L.A. Kipchoge of the Backyard Ultras. He only sleeps four to six hours a day, and he says he's been working on it. Like I think he's been adding more sleep to his head. He doesn't need to sleep. This is amazing. Kipchoge couldn't touch this guy in this event. Uh, well, no okay. Way. Yeah, no, one is, no one's arguing he could. But he, here's, the, here's the other thing. That's, that's incredibly impressive, one. But I also think there are just some humans who are genetically wired to survive on not much sleep. Like, I listen to – I see every NFL coach and their work schedules, and it's like – this guy wakes up at 3.30 in the morning and then he goes home at 11. He only sleeps three hours a night. I'm like, okay, that, that's really impressive. He's got a great work ethic. But like, literally, my body, like, I do not have the physical capacity to get by on four hours of sleep a night. And I'm not saying I'd be some ultra marathon star or NFL coach if I could, but like, these people can survive on little sleep. Some people, it's just not possible. If I slept four hours a night, I, w- I would die. Like, I just couldn't sleep. I, I couldn't get by with that little sleep. Anyways... Listen to the podcast with Warden. I enjoyed it. How he got into running. This guy was a college lacrosse player. Didn't even run at all. And he just got into running because his mother, his friend's wife, his friend's mother ran the Boston Marathon. He said, wow, I realized that like anybody could run a marathon because I always seen the Kenyans on TV, but I saw like a mom, just a regular mom do it. So I thought I should run a marathon. So he wanted to run Boston because she had. Then he realized you had to qualify. And that kind of pissed him off. So he ran 306 in his first marathon when 310 was the qualifying mark. And then someone told him, well, you really need to break three to be a real marathoner. So anyways, I did fire off a tweet to Wardian. As he's still running the last leg, don't accept this tweet, this cheap victory. The guy started. He was fumbling on his treadmill. What a joke of a sport if he's DQ'd. And can't he argue that he ran one inch? So it was that type of mindset that I was, I was invalidating all of the ultra scene just for this one thing. Oh, this I, is great, Robert. Thank you. We should have led with this. Thank to be you. an expert on something he really knows very little about. It reminds me, actually, that's a true. That's the true American spirit, actually. You're really embodying the spirit of our 45th president, Donald J. Trump. Oh, wait. And I, speaking of such, I honestly think COVID is almost over. Did you guys see God, well done. How yesterday in Trump's man? press conference? We're discussing, he's discussing whether Joe, uh, what's his name? Tiger, the Tiger King should be pardoned. Trump was talking about this in his press conference? Yes. He's going to look into whether a pardon, there should be a pardon. The sentence seemed a bit excessive. I've only watched the first episode, so. I haven't seen any. I think it's time to move on. We we got a great debate about Jager and Ritz and Robert. You're talking about ultra stuff. I just, uh, let's get to the the real running. I, I just want to say, ultra fans, I love this stuff more than real running. It's way more fascinating. I may start the Let's Run virtual backyard ultra next year because I don't think they'll be doing a. Robert, whole, your whole argument's ridiculous. You say ultra running, I love it more than real running. By calling run, regular running real running, you're already automatically invalidating ultra running. And this is also a garbage take. Three days ago, you were saying the entire sport's a joke. It's great. We're calling real running, you know, it's like baby nationals. It's a, it's a term of endearment. No, I, look, ultra, what they do is insane and impressive and I couldn't do it, but I, I prefer shorter distance running. And I think it's time to talk about that. We have a great debate here as part of our greatest American distance runner of all time bracket. We're going to be running this the next two weeks. By the time you listen to this, we should be into the second round, the round of 32. But right now, one of, the, one of our, de- our debate of the week Whose career would you rather have? It centers on one of the first round matchups, Evan Jager against Dathan Ritzenhine. I put the question to the brothers Johnson, whose career would you rather have? Evan Jager, the Olympic silver medalist in the steeplechase, or Dathan Ritzenhine, former American record holder in the 5,000 meters, two-time footlocker champion? I mean, this was a no-brainer when I voted. I voted for Jager. 
Then I saw some people really pissed that Ritz only was a number nine seed. Then, but supposedly Robert moved him up to a number nine seed. It would be pretty good to be like, do I get all the high school stuff? Of course. As well, the junior cross countries and all that. Yeah. Even the world half Whose marathon. Career would you rather have? It's pretty simple. Now, th- this is this is an impossible answer. Possible answer. Can I say neither? Neither. I, I mean, I, I think you should say both if you're going to say neither, but. Look at this. I would much rather A, have won the Foot Locker Championship. I would have much rather B, gone to college, be part of a college team, won college national titles in cross country. There's nothing better than winning that NCAA cross country title and that Foot Locker title. Don't tell me there is. Maybe Robert, how do you know that? John, every runner in America dreams of those two things. You're the top dog. You Jager didn't even go to college. Maybe he went to college online. but He, just, uh, he did I one year at Wisconsin, Robert. To miss out on college, you would, couldn't pay me. You'd have to pay me millions of dollars to miss out on college. Just being in college, I feel like college is a wonderful experience. So, I would want to go to college. I'd want to fill on Foot Locker. I'd rather want to do that. Um, Jager's obviously had the better pro career in terms of medals, but I don't know. I can't say Ritz because I don't think I'd want to be in the NLP. I'd always wonder. You guys want to hear the rumors that I've always heard debated behind the scenes? Well. Ritz was a pretty mediocre marathoner. Then he popped out that 207. Did, did Al Sal rub a little andro gel into his legs one night? That was a theory that I heard from somebody. They said, well, he was, they had a theory that his contract was up that year. Robert, that's just irresponsible. And people always have these theories. I mean, like, he was a fabulous runner before that. He ran a 50, an hour and a half. He ran 12 whatever right off the bat when he joined the NOP. So was he rubbing the gel in then too? No, I, I just saying he probably doesn't know what Alberto did to him. I wouldn't want to be part of that. I wouldn't want to have that question mark around my career. I know for a fact that there's some of his ex teammates have said, "Hey, if he asked me, do, do you think I'm a cheat?" They would say yes. At least one of them would. So I, I, it's unfortunate because I, I feel like he tried to do the right thing. He specifically asked on the El Carnitine, "Hey, is this legal?" When it appears that it wasn't, although I guess they legal substance, but some the way at least they gave it to Magnet administered illegally, right? And many people think the way they got it was also legal. Although it was although the the ruling said they couldn't determine that. And Rich, to his credit, when he left the NOP, he left in disgust and refused to wear the NOP singlet that year when he ran the Boston Marathon because he had to lawyer up and he was worried about these things. So I think Rich tried to do the right thing, but I don't know, man. Who's I'd rather be? I think I'd probably still rather be Ritz. But I, I don't know. I, I could never be part of the NOP and have a taint. Uh, I think I'd rather have Jager's career. And I know Ritz, look, Ritz was a boss in high school. Like, we need to remember 2000 Foot Lockers. This was hyped up as a big showdown between him and Ryan Hall and Alan Webb. And again, what a ridiculous class of talent that was. Ritz totally smoked them. He just, he totally destroyed them. It was awesome. It was one of the greatest performances in the history of. American high school distance running. Then he gets a medal at World XC the next year as a white guy. I mean, that's just crazy in the era, era of African dominance. You know, Bekele won that race, by the way. Kennedy's Bekele, and I don't remember who second was. Ritz gets third. Obviously, the half marathon bronze at 2009 Worlds, that was really impressive too. And 1256, the American record. But Jager's got, the, Jager's got an Olympic silver medal. That's better than anything Ritz has ever done. He's got a world championship bronze medal. He is easily the best American steeplechaser of all time. Like, if you look at the all-time list, Jager just dominates it. He's got seven U.S. titles in that event. 
He's got the American record. He still has a chance to break eight, be the first white guy to break eight in the steeple, which would be legendary. I know that the steeple isn't as widely respected as the the flat running events, but I think what Jager has done in that event is just so magnificent. I'm taking his career over Ritz's, and I get the Olympic silver medal. Yeah. It's close, though. I think there's a good argument for Ritz. Okay, guys. There's a lot of other things I want to talk about. The 64-person tournament if you haven't been go to let's run.com the, the website you can vote some 64 Wait, our debate should be sponsored by the feed.com robert actually i was just checking out the feed.com did you guys know oh man this stuff existed when i, I was there back in the day amp the number one product for runners right now well, it's sold out in the big size but they have a one-time you know like trial size amp human next generation pr lotion that doesn't sound legal this is a legal substance well then pr lotion I feel like that's a pseudonym for a illegal substance. Endorsed by Alberto Salazar himself. Fully absorbs in 30 minutes. Wow. So hey folks, they got tons of stuff on there. After you get your immunity packs and your PR lotions, you're also going to need some shoes. So go to letsrun.com slash shoes. Your local shoe store should be closed due to the COVID-19. Don't risk it. Don't try to go get some cheap shoes at Target or something that's open. Go to letsrun.com slash shoes. Get the best prices. Get the best reviews and support Let's Run. Our ad revenue is way, way down. We need your help. Thank you. But guys, so this is up on the website. John, you've been doing a lot of great content. It's up today. We also have I Was Bored, so I went back and watched the 1998 Cross Country Championships. It's fascinating to see a 20-year-old guy watch the 1998 meet. And, and I'm, tw- I'm 29 really now, Robert. I'm not, a, I'm not exactly a young buck. but The race had Goucher, Legat, Abdi. Legat looked older 20-something years ago than he does now. It's amazing. But go read that piece. I mean, this is the type of content people want. I just saw that, too. I want to read it, too. I'm like, that's the type of stuff I want to read instead of, it's like, amazing. 2022 Olympic dates. No, and John comments on, unlike are, the, the commentator's off. attire and the ponytails and how they didn't have chip timing. John's, like, confused why they're not giving the they team kept, score mid-race. They kept showing on the screen the team time differential. That's the only insight into the team race we got. And then you had Jeff Atkinson trying to case. like, well, I counted four Stanford guys, and this is Arkansas's fifth. But I love I thought he was trying it. really hard, but I'm like, I just want to know the team scores. I don't think they even broadcast this thing live. I think it was a highlights package. So, uh, I don't know. They don't. No, it was fantastic. No, John, the meet used to be live on cable. It was awesome. It was an awesome broadcast. It Jeff wasn't did a great live. job. John I'll tell you why it wasn't live because the video was 22 minutes and they showed the start and the finish. And Adam Goucher ran 29 minutes for the race. Well, it was recorded live, which is which is the good thing. So uh, I loved it. Please read that piece. And then John also has a really groundbreaking piece. The amazing story of how Jerry Lawson cleared his name. He showed that the head of a WADA accredited lab provided false testimony against him. This is kind of a scary case, actually. You need to read that if you are worried about sort of unfair convictions. But back to the 64-person tournament, guys. The big question I have is, have you guys all voted? I voted all in the first-round matchups. But do you guys are you like me? Do you ever guys vote for someone who doesn't deserve it? Like you'll read the matchup and you'll vote for the worst person just to be like contrarian or just to give them a vote because you're afraid they'll have zero votes? I did that once. Someone, I'm like, oh, they're going to have zero, and I voted for him. I have it. Well, here's the thing. Like, all right, so here's some of the matchups. Like, Dina Castor versus Jen Rines. That's the 116 matchup. Anyone who votes for Jen Rines, do we just ban... Like, unless you're actually Jen Rines herself or related to her, do we just ban them from Let's Run because they're a moron, or we're okay with them throwing sympathy votes her way? Jen Rines had a much better collegiate career. Okay. Did she win any Olympic medals? 
Did she have any American records in the marathon? Did she win Chicago or London? I mean, no disrespect. Again, three Olympic teams, Jen Ryan's outstanding runner, but like Dina Castor, think it's not a debate. She had the better career. Okay, let's talk about a few of these matchups. And speaking of marathon, one of the things I, I was looking at it right now, people are complaining about Salazar versus Billy Mills. I think who who's favored there, John? I think Salazar's Salazar the five seed. Billy Mills is the twelve seed. This is a classic NCAA tournament upset potential. Yeah, there's always a twelve upsetting a five, and right now Mills is winning, and I think it's justified. I mean, Billy Mills. I, we didn't put this in his bio when he ran, when he won the Olympics, it was one of the fastest 10,000s ever run, John. It was like the third, fourth fastest ever. It was a fast time. People say he only won the Olympics. And one thing I was thinking about this is I really think that the marathon majors, a victory in that is given way too much credit. You well, think about it. I mean, particularly now when, when Salazar was around, there weren't as many marathons as there are, but to be, you can win a major and be easily there's, Six majors a year, right? You could easily be the 10th best marathon in the year and win a major. You could be the 20th best marathon in a year. If you're a track athlete, if you're not numero uno, you're not winning the global title, period. But is this much of an issue? Like, we don't have a lot of Americans winning major marathons. I mean, this isn't exactly a huge issue, right? The ones that did also have, like, look, on the women's side, Shalane Flanagan also has an Olympic medal. Dina Casta has an Olympic medal. I mean, Des Linden doesn't, but... Not a lot of America. Well, who's Bill Rogers? Who's Bill Rogers up against? I was thinking about this. I think for him, Bill Rogers. Okay, he is up against. He's the four seed in the Legat region. He's up against Horace Ashenfelter, who was the 1952 Olympic champion in the steeplechase. Also, an FBI agent. Uh, I think I voted for Bill there, but I just think that winning a major. I mean, it sounds glamorous. Yeah, but, but he's not. All right, nearly- Bill. He didn't just win a major though. He won four Boston's and four New Yorks. I was wondering, what was Salazar doing in college? Like, he was running some of these majors in college. Like, didn't he have the track season? Like, did he win? He Ran didn't win any in college. Did he? I don't know. How many NCAA titles did he do? I'd like to know. I would like to see Salazar's season by season career finishes in college. But, anyways, one other thing was Ryan Hall versus Khalid Kanuchi. It's a first round matchup. And I think Kanuchi's seated higher, but he's getting crushed by really? Ryan Hall. Really? Look, I'm sorry. I, I think that's outrageous. Ryan Hall was great, but. Khalid Kanuchi, his he has the American record, you know, on a legit course. It was the world record at the time as well, two hundred five thirty eight in London. Robert, you added in in, in that uh, article actually a good summary of this epic two thousand two London marathon. He took down Paul Turgot, who was a former world record holder, and Haile Gebrselassie in his marathon debut. I mean, London, that's an epic, epic race. Ryan and he also won Chicago twice. As an American, these all th- all things he did as an American. Ryan Hall never won a major marathon. His best tr- performance was trouncing people at the Olympic trials in 2007, which was great. But like, I- I'm failing to see the argument of Canucci Col- over Hall. What is it? Oh, sorry, of Hall over Canucci. I don't get the argument. I don't know. Weldon said to me when we were coming up with the seeds. Weldon said for some reason people view Canucci as an import, and they you know people view Meb as a as a full blown American. They they view Bernard. For some Lugard. reason. Of course, he, is like Kanuchi was compete- he was competing for Morocco for half of his career. Well, so was Lagat. Right. Which I, I don't I don't understand why people would view it that way. Like Lagat, we had his number one seed because the stuff he did for an American, no American's ever done. I just don't if you're gonna accept that Kanuchi was American, which of course he was, how is what Hull accomplished more impressive? I guess Hull did have he has a half marathon American record, but 
Hall's more recent. I mean, come on, that's it. Kanuchi was pre-Let's Run, or pretty much start of Let's Run. Hall was more recent. Yeah, but the other ones are holding up pretty much according to form, except for that one. So one other thing that struck me as I was going through this was, I couldn't believe this. Susie Favor Hamilton made one global final. How is that possible? As good as she was, I mean, I know there were a lot of doped up Russians. She had a 357 runner. She only made one final. Like, wasn't she going to tons of them? She was flaming out of that many. Apparently. It seems hard to believe. But John. John, I had some problems with some of your All right. Seats. Well, it's, you know, well, then I did call. Kara Goucher in 11. Multiple seat? times for, an op- for giving you the chance to weigh in, and you mostly ignored those chances. So, anyway, any grievances now? John, John two, two things. Uh, of course I did that. You know, one, you're supposed to, like, empower your employees. Let them give them a little rope, see if they hang themselves. <laughs> I guess you hung yourself. Secondly, with this crisis and CEOs giving back pay, I'm trying to show I'm not the CEO of Let's Run. I think Robert is the CEO and should give back his pay. So there's... there's well, actually, I wanted, to, I wanted to... What are you guys going to do with your Trump stimulus check, $1,200? I mean, I'm guessing most of the people on Let's Run, most of our visitors aren't going to be getting any because they all make you know $250,000 a year and have beautiful wives and have broken 14 minutes in the 5K. So... They're probably not getting one, but I know I'll be getting one. I don't know. Are you guys going to be returning it, or are you too profitable to even get them? What's going to happen here? Everybody should aim. Small business owners shoot for the PPE, Payment Protection Plan. So you guys need to go for it if you're in an impact. I thought PPE was the personal protective equipment, like masks and stuff like that. Oh, well, there's multiple PPE. Oh, maybe that's three P. All right. Anyway, what do you come at me, Weldon? Why? What's what? Do you, what seeds are you upset about? Let me know. Kara Goucher, an eleven seed. Okay, who's ranked higher than her that shouldn't be? Well, Jan Merrill, who's that? I just pissed off all of the older. I mean, he, all right, time. so here's the problem. Here is Jan Merrill. So the problem is a lot of these women. Oh the, no, not Jan Merrill. Excuse Jan Merrill is ranked higher than her. She's a nine seed. She had the American record in the fifteen hundred. She was top seven. At World Cross Country four times, silver medal in 1981. I mean, look, you can say if you race them, Jan Merrill in her prime versus Kara Goucher in her prime, no doubt Kara Goucher would win. But the question is how, like, Jan Merrill was running at a time, you know, in the 70s and 80s where winning women's running was not an advance, as advanced. They're trying to, you know, push it forward. She helped push the sport forward. How do you weigh those contributions versus, you know, actual times and, and places? That's that's my defense for seeding her higher than Goucher. Should Catherine Switzer be in the pool? Uh, I mean, no, absolutely not. What about the f- other woman who Bobby ran the before? No, see, I because they 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 obviously helped push the sport forward by running in these races, but their times were so far behind anyone else in these pool in the in bracket. I just don't think it's a fair comparison, folks. I will say this: John did a very good job. There was. You know, because really think about it, women's distance running has only been going in the longer distance since like 80 or 84 at, at a really high level. I mean, Olympics, 84 was the first time it showed up. So, John, folks, we've criticized him for focusing a little bit too much on the men. We, John, did a good job. We, social justice warriors, have criticized John for being a little sexist unintentionally, despite claiming to be a, a very liberal guy. So, John, you've done a good job here of. of a lot, of, a lot of these people I've never even heard. I, I got to confess. This is going to anger them, though. 
It's the gang of the social justice warriors. I had never heard of some of these women. I could not believe it. We always hear about Billy Mills. That was 64, yes. right? Who was 64. 60? You run a running website. 64. 68 was Jim Ryan and stuff. So, But I'm not sure. Well, then, had you ever heard of Madeline Manning before? This, I, I mean, I can't believe it. This woman was a stud. She set an Olympic record, won a gold medal in, in 1968, and then she ended up running 157, right, John, before she stopped? Or something sick. Yeah, no, that shows how sexist that was. I thought, I'm like, who is this? And I looked into her, I'm like, oh my gosh. I mean, people, sure, there's sexism and racism now, but back in the day, like... Well, and here's the thing. Back then, the 800 was the longest event they could run. I mean, if you were a good 5K runner and you wanted to run at the Olympics and you're a woman in 1968, that was your only option. Now, I've heard, I'd heard of Madeline Manning, I think probably I learned about her in 2016 or 2017. So, But she's obviously like... She's not one of the household names you hear growing up, and maybe she should be because she was a total stud. She made four Olympic teams. She didn't get to compete in you know, 1980 because of the boycott. And she's the first American under 158. I mean, she's a hugely impressive career, but sort of a forgotten legend of the sport. I mean, I think she, she might be. Honestly, I think you could put her in. If she could come back right now with today's equipment and spikes, I think she could beat A.J. Wilson. 157 in the 60s and 70s? I, yeah. Like, this is actually unbelievable the more I think about it. She's probably the best. She should be – I'm, I'm going to vote her through. She's probably losing the first round, though. This is she's sick. we got to play Patty her Sue Pluma? No, her. she's going to beat her, surely. What she's seat is that? 512. 512. Here we go. We're Let's spreading the gospel of Madeline Manning. John, I want you to – And then, like, Patty Catalano, I probably shouldn't diminish a Let's Run.com poster. Patty used to post on Let's Run a lot. But she's ahead of you. Got to rank higher than Goucher. I guess it's just recency bias. Names I'm more familiar with. I mean, look, with I, I think, think part of this though, part of, here's the thing: you you get you set the field, and then you let the fans sort it out. Like the seedings, I'm not married to the seedings. I think a lot of these were very close, and it's sort of I try to do a job of balancing between modern day runners who have posted exceptional times and the earlier runners who obviously won as fast, but like. Billy Mills, if he showed up, he wouldn't even make the Olympic team in the 10K. But he's an absolute legend, so you got to include him in the bracket. Madeline Manning, I'm reading her Wikipedia page. It's amazing, John. Do you know her son, John Jackson III, was an NCAA triple jump champion? This woman's got some athletic genes just going down to the next generation. She's still alive. John, I want you to interview her. Can we have some celebration? Like, What, what, what anniversary are we having of her? It's been how many years? Four years? We just missed it. The 50th she probably did something in 1970, right? I mean, it's quarantine. No other rules apply for content. You just talk to who you can get. I mean, I just watched the 1998 NCAA tr- tr- cross-country championships in April. I'm sure we can find an excuse to talk to Madeline Manning. If you know Madeline, please email Jonathan Galt at Let's Run.com. Jonathan Galt at Let's Run. And if you want, or just give us a call. You can reach us, unlike Facebook, unlike Twitter. Give us a call, 844-LET'S-RUN, 844-538-7786. Hit extension 3, my cell phone, extension 4 as well as cell phone. I think it's 6. Yeah, we need some fake callers and like fake Galen Rupp. Robert, you didn't even check the voicemail this week, but I might pay if fake Galen Rupp calls in again. What if a real Galen Rupp calls in? Oh, great. Alberto, the option's still here to come host the podcast. And speaking of Facebook, I'm looking now, John. Someone's upset. Can we talk about why Webb is ranked 16th in a region under the likes of Simmons? He wants Webb to be at a three or four. Simmons won more U.S. titles. Simmons won a global medal. Simmons made four world championship or Olympic finals. I mean, Webb didn't do any of that. Accomplishments are better, but 
when you say whose career would you rather have, it's a very tough debate. And speaking of Simmons, guest on our podcast last week, last week, right? You guys should listen to that if you haven't already. But you guys, you, you guys blew it, John. You had a chance there for Nick Simmons. He was on the podcast. He's a listener to the podcast because we he called up to be a you know emailed being a guest after we asked about him. And John, you should have shamed him. You should have said, Nick, where's the tips? You haven't hit the tip jar. You know, you got to use the like Twitter mob. People are using it now. You know, to like shut down countries and enforce social distancing, which can be a good thing. You know, but you can obviously take anything too far. Johnny probably could have used it to like get a tip I mean, or whatever. Well, but he was kind enough to come on the podcast, and now you want me to whore him out just to get tips? Like I'm some, you know, floozy telling tricks on the street? No, come on. If you if you like the podcast, give me a tip. Leave a you know leave a review, five stars. Give us a comment. But you know, I'm not going to force people to do that or force someone who comes on the pod to shill for me. Just joking, John. Wow. Sorry, I, I guess I'm. Riled up. Well, if we start, if we start shaming all of our guests, you know, <laughs> come on, come on the podcast. We can pay to play. Hey, that's a new, that's a new revenue model. Pay to play. Any runners want to be on? Yeah. What do you actually? What do you think that would be? That would fetch if we put it up on eBay, like a guest spot on the Let's Run dot com podcast. Bill Simmons did this for his podcast, and it got like sixty thousand or ninety thousand dollars to come on and guess the lines with them last fall. I don't think ours would go for quite as much, but who knows. Well, didn't I mean Des Linden paid you how much, John, to get on the podcast? We didn't know about this. It was what five hundred dollars, fifty dollars, five hundred would be pretty crazy. Uh, fifty dollar tip is what she left. Wait, sixty grand? I think it was more than that, honestly. What did they get to do? I think Robert. I'm pretty sure I'll just take a grand. Anyone take a grand? They want to be in the podcast next week. Shoot me an email. We'll discuss it. Yeah, I, I think definitely a grand. Unless you're going to be spouting some neo-Nazi, you know, agenda or something like that. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think what what limits that, you know, what we'll put on it. All right. Well, do you have any other gripes or can we proceed with the tournament? Well, soon we got to get to Michael Joyner, who's actually doing something productive during this shutdown. He's not shut down. He's trying to save the world, so... Oh, oh, yeah. Very, very good interview we got coming up with Mike Joyner. One, actually, two two quick things I wanted to hit the, you guys with, though. Two matchups from the first round that will have been decided by the time this podcast airs. But Steve Prefontaine, 8 seed, versus Bob Kennedy, 9 seed. People have argued that Pre is under is seeded too low. But whatever. If you think that, vote for him. Who do you think should advance, Pre or Kennedy? I mean, I love Bob Kennedy, but like Pree's like this legend. I feel like he has to get it, but then the career ends so short. I wouldn't want that, obviously. So, Robert, who do you think? Kennedy versus Prefontaine. Who should, who's better? Like, who would win a race? Um, Kennedy it's not what I'm asking. I'm asking. I mean, who who should advance in the American distance goat bracket that we're holding? I think it's got to be. But Kennedy, what a stud to win NCAA cross country as a true freshman. And that guy's my era. He wins Foot Locker, wins NC Cross as a fresh freshman, then doesn't win it again until his fifth year. I think he won a 1,500-meter title, ran, broke 13, had the lead in the Olympics at, with, what, 500 meters to go. Total stud when America sucked at distance running. So one of the, our biggest regrets is Weldon and I were at the 1996 Olympics outside the stadium scalping tickets, trying to get in. It was the day of the 5,000 final. And, you know, remember, folks, there was a time when StubHub didn't exist, so you actually had to talk to people and buy tickets off of them. And these people were selling a couple extra seats. It was Bob Kennedy's parents. We could have sat right next to Bob Kennedy's parents for the Olympic 5000 thing, but we decided to go with a cheaper, a cheaper option. Robert's sort of botching the story. 
for the prelims, we also scalped tickets, and we actually bought tickets from his family or sat next to them. And they're like, hey, we have tickets for the final. And like we were just out of college and like had no money. And, you know, those tickets were like an extra 50 bucks or something. We're like, oh, we just can't do it. I'm like, how effing stupid were we are. Kids, 50 bucks when you're older, it's not a lot. Yeah. But 96 Olympics, I did get to graze the hand of Haile Gebrselesi. My fourth finger on my right hand touched him. I reached down from the stand in the 10,000. Incredible. Folks, I'm looking at it. It's kind of crazy, right? Like I was so excited there to like touch Greg Vesalasi's hand, give him a high five after he wins the gold medal. And then fast forward, what, how many years? And I'm uh, having dinner at Gabriel Vesalasi's backyard. Wow, well met, Gab. I've never... Can we also, can we also say, look, just this is strange to me as someone who was born in 1991. How did Atlanta get the Olympics? Like, I feel out of all the American cities that the Olympics could go to, like, that seems, that probably doesn't seem like, it'll be like 10th or something. It'd be kind of, it's kind of a random spot to hold the Olympics, no? Coca-Cola, baby. Yeah, Coca-Cola, John. How did Eugene get the world championships? Nike, baby. Anyways, about to wrap this up, guys. We've been getting lots of five-star reviews. I've counted 13 in a row on there. Thank you very much. Rate and review. Back to Kennedy. This came up actually speaking of Atlanta at the marathon trials. Hard to believe that was like six weeks ago. And Kennedy was there at the Brooks party. And people started talking. They're like, can you imagine how much money that guy would get now? He won NCAA Cross his senior year by like 40 seconds. And he won as a true freshman. Like, if you think about how good that is. He was just like ahead of a generation, never trained at altitude. What if he'd done altitude training? Maybe we should vote for Kennedy over over Pre. All right, guys. Well, this was a lot of fun talking about the American GOAT bracket. We'll have more of those matchups to come next week. Maybe some more running news. Who knows? No races to discuss, no real ones, but maybe I'll watch another old cross-country race. Okay, guys, last thing. Johnny made fun of me. I'm, I'm Ultra fans, I want you to know I love you, but I try to have fun with it. I will read, but this cracked me up. Sometimes when I'm reading the message board late at night, a few moments of free time, I just start laughing. And if I do, I've started taking it. This is from the thread after the race ended. This is from anonymous message board poster, Fake Rock Start, posting at 1 in the morning. My initial thoughts are this. That was the stupidest event of all time. Seriously? Watching some bald dude run 9-minute miles in his base, and the dude who was crying when we had to DQ him? And the chick who was flabbergasted that a guy could run four miles in 31 minutes. Pathetic. That's not racing. That's not fun. That's not boring. That's boring. We need fake lads to bring us some perspective. And I just lost a ton of respect for the real lads. Weirdo, if you ask. Robert, are you sure you didn't post that under a fake name? I did it. I loved it. I loved it. But, hey, there's some oddballs in the ultra scene, but it's fascinating stuff. There's oddballs in the real running scene, too. Boom. There it is. And speaking of real runners, we got one up next. Michael Joyner, Dr. Michael Joyner, with the COVID Plasma Project. It's not the official name. Official name is in the show notes. Is up next. He ran at the University of Arizona, predicted the sub-two-hour marathon. And he's doing his best to come up with therapies to try to get us out of this mix. Because for us to go back to normal, we need a better way, obviously, to treat COVID-19. So here he is, Dr. Michael Joyner, talking about what he's doing and also how running helps him every day get through this. All right, stay safe, everybody. I'm joined by Michael Joyner. He used to be known on Let's Run for the guy predicting the sub-two-hour marathon, but now he's got much bigger things on his hands. He's with the Mayo Clinic 
and he's helping lead the National COVID-19 Convalescent Plasma Project. Did I say that right, Michael? Well, then you certainly did. First of all, thank you for taking the time. I can't believe you said you're supposed to talk to the BBC and you're talking to me instead, so we really appreciate it. Well, the BBC, they have a 24-365 operation, and we'll catch up with them tomorrow. All right, good to hear. But also, you know, you're you're a runner, and I think the running community, there's a lot that people want to know about it, and I'm sure they have some questions about exercising and that sort of stuff. But first, COVID-19, a month ago, a lot of us had barely heard of it. Now it's sort of it's a pandemic that's taken over the world, shut down the world, and it seems to be if we're going to get back to normal, we need a way to treat this disease, right, and prevent it, obviously, but that's related to what you're doing. Correct. Well, then I think there's a, a couple things. One is, and I'm sure you guys can post this on your website, there's a tremendous TED Talk by Bill Gates, the Microsoft founder from 2015, I would encourage everybody to look at. People have been anticipating something like this for a number of years, and Mr. Gates's uh, outline of what might happen in 2015 is, in fact, prophetic. So uh, that's certainly something to contemplate. So, so something like this has been thought about for a while. And there's a couple things people can do in the short run. The first thing they can do is practice the social distancing and other sorts of, of uh, pandemic control mechanisms that people have been very good about in the country the last uh, few weeks. And what we're trying to do is leverage the antibodies produced by people who have recovered from COVID-19, harvest uh, those antibodies from recovered patients, and then give these antibodies in the form of plasma to uh, people to either prevent disease in people that have been exposed but aren't yet sick, to um, treat people who are in the hospital and try to keep them from going to the intensive care unit, or to try to shorten the stay in the intensive care unit. This is called uh, convalescent plasma therapy. It's been around since the late 1800s. It's uh, worked numerous times before, and we believe it's our best shot on kind of biological goal in the short run, uh, Weldon. And then after that, we anticipate concentrated uh, gamma globulin-like uh, antibodies available toward the end of the summer. And then we are waiting for the vaccine and biotech uh, cavalry to come to the rescue. So the primary way to help is to do the social distancing and other things. And then uh, this is our best biological strategy in, in the short run, the convalescent plasma is. And how did you get involved with this? It seems like you got a a group a bunch across a bunch of hospitals and Correct. institutions involved, but is, was this your specialty beforehand? Sort of tell us how no, this came about. I'm an, I'm an anesthesiologist, and as you know, I'm interested in oxygen transport, and that stems from my early interest in exercise physiology uh, as an undergraduate and a medical student, which has continued. And 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 that interest in exercise physiology, you know, stems from my participation in some of the very early studies on the lactate threshold in the 1970s when I was running track at the University of Arizona with uh, Coach Dave Murray. So, well, then what happened is a man named Arturo Casavadal, who's one of the sharpest guys around, a member of the National Academy of Medicine, wrote an editorial in the Wall Street Journal uh, late February. Arturo's a friend of mine. We're part of a kind of a network of, of people who uh, think about a lot of things. I... Uh, actually saw the Arturo's editorial in the Wall Street Journal because David Epstein, the, the sports gene range author, tweeted it. So I, I read the thing and immediately 
uh, emailed Arturo and said, this is a good idea. How can I help? And started alerting people inside the Mayo Clinic about what we might be able to do. Started interacting with Arturo and a larger group of people. And as a result, this network sort of sprung up. We began to write protocols to use this material as a treatment. At the same time, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration uh, was really on a parallel pathway. And now we've started to work closely with the Food and Drug Administration. And uh, at the end of last week, we were able to uh, generate what's called an expanded access program. And that's a large network where we're going to attempt to um, harvest this, this material, convalescent plasma, all over the country, uh, get it into the blood bank supply chain, and be able to deliver it uh, to patients in hospitals. The daunting logistical challenge, and our biggest problem right now, we solved a whole lot of problems. Our biggest problem right now is that there's a lag time between when people get infected and when they're eligible to donate of around uh, 28 to 42 days. So, so we're just barely beginning to get a lot of donors come online and getting these people well and teed up uh, for screening and donation is our main challenge right now. And if somebody has been infected and it was a month ago, how how should they go about contacting you? Are there you have centers set up around the country? Yeah, there are centers. I will send you uh, via email a site that will let people who had a, a uh, case of COVID contact the blood donation center closest to their zip code. It's important, at least at first, because we don't have good look-back testing, that we focus on people who've had a positive test, so they have a test-positive case of COVID. We're getting a lot of emails. You know, I had a terrible case of something that sounds a lot like COVID at the end of February or early March, but I was never tested. Can I donate? Those people may be eligible later when we develop better look-back testing, but for now, we're focused on people who've had a positive a test-confirmed case of COVID-19, so we can begin to get them into this uh, uh, plasma donation pipeline. Uh, you hear about the asymptomatic people who test positive. Would they be eligible as well, or do you need to have really like... Absolutely. 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 The key thing is somebody who's tested positive. Interesting. And this is sort of like a one-to-one thing, right? Like plasma from one person can go to another person? Is, is that the sort of Correct. scale attack? Plasma from one person, it has to be ABO compatible, but each donation actually gives us two bags of plasma so it could treat two patients, and somebody who's uh, recovered can probably donate three or two or three or four times. So one person could generate, uh, you know, therapeutic opportunities uh, for six or eight people. So it's a, it's a amplifying effect. And have you guys started I mean, it sounds like you guys have started testing, you know, patients with this. Have the results been promising? or is... So the data so far looks, uh, there, there have been no disasters. The data so far is all anecdotal. We're just getting teed up to do this at Mayo. We have about four units we've collected, and we're looking for the right patient. We're here in the flyover zone, so it's not as acute as, acute as it is on the coast or some of the big cities. So we're optimistic we'll start treatment uh, here soon. About 25 people have been treated at Mount Sinai in New York and a number of people in Houston and across the country. Uh, You've certainly heard some interesting case reports. You've heard nothing horrible in terms of a a negative case report, but it's really too soon to tell how well this is going to work and what the best use case for it is. There are also promising reports from China, and as I mentioned, the historical data uh, would certainly leave us to be optimistic, but we have to remain objective and attempt to collect the data in a rigorous way, safe way, um, with all the human prote- subjects protections and, and compliance and ethics pieces in place, 
so we can begin to get some sense of whether this is going to work and who it's best to use it in. Because, uh, well, then this, this uh, pandemic is going to die down over the next six weeks or so, but it's still going to smolder for some time. And frequently, after things die down in a first wave, there's sometimes a bit of a rebound a few months later. Not nearly as bad as the first one, but a bit of a rebound. And so we have to be prepared for that. And this uh, product could certainly be helpful uh, if there's a second wave. Yeah, I'm far from a scientist, but this, the second wave part is a bit scary to a lot of us. Because the layman thinks, oh, we're going to beat this. It's going to die down. But then other people are like, no, extend those models out into December and see what you see. And some of them are pretty yeah, scary. So. Correct. And, and and if you look at like the 57, this, this actually has a lot of parallels with the uh, 57 flu pandemic. There are some important differences. The country had a much younger population on average, and there are no ICUs at that time. But there was a, a, a big uh, a wave that was almost identical to, to the one we're seeing today, followed by, a, a you know, a period of, of uh, less for a couple of months, followed by a secondary wave. Now, the secondary wave, I think, was only about a third the size of the first one, which is still scary. Uh, but that's how these things usually go. For the layman, maybe real quick, like that sort of arc you see, is it spiking up and coming down? I, I, that seems common, right? That's common for a lot of viruses. Correct. You sort of just, that's just sort of kind of expected to keep going, barring treatment or a vaccine until the thing kind of well, it, out? Until you get some sort of a herd immunity. You get herd immunity either when people, enough of the population gets, Sick, well, you, they, that they and, and recover, so they have immunity, and and big big outbreaks can't occur again, or via a vaccine or or some other product. But I, I think one of the real things we don't know here, you mentioned the asymptomatic people. One of the things we do not know is um, we do not know um, uh, the denominator here. So we don't know if fifty percent of the people are relatively asymptomatic or eighty percent of people are asymptomatic. And without that sort of denominator data, which will be coming soon as look-back testing is available, but without that sort of denominator data, we're really flying blind. It's amazing how a bunch of really smart people, I mean, obviously the world's trying to stop this, and some of the best things I've seen on it is someone knows, pretends to know what's going on, they really don't. We're still figuring out all the data. Yeah, I think the data, you know, you can you can make what's called a Fermi estimate, where you can say, you know, here are some low-end assumptions, here are some high-end assumptions. And certainly the group at the University of Washington uh, have probably the best models. But if you look at the confidence intervals on their model, they're very wide, very wide. So it's not yeah, like X minus 20%. It's like X minus, you know, 100%. Yeah, the good news on there is that, like their death numbers, I mean, it's kind of kind of crazy that we're now talking like I think it's 60,000 but I think there were 93,000 deaths a few days ago then they went to 80 and I think today they revised down again to 60 yeah in so first wave yeah, and yeah, that's in the first wave and and certainly but you don't know what's going to happen in places like uh, New Orleans Detroit Chicago Miami uh, Atlanta some of the other large cities come on board and to the extent that they have a New York City like experience uh, that could be challenging in comparison yeah. to the rest of the world, you know, the United States has much more inherent social distancing, except in the Northeast. And we aren't taking the subway all the time. And, and you know, I mean, the freeways are helping buffer things in in the West Coast. So, um, yeah, I, I think we have some inherent things going on. But, but uh, you certainly don't want to be in a position where the health system is overwhelmed like it has been in New York City. Yeah, it seems like people are now cautiously optimistic that this first wave is 
Yes. I don't know. And, and it's going okay, I guess. Better than it could have been three or four days ago. Right, and certainly better than, than, than the worst-case scenarios. It could have been, uh, you know, like a kind of a nationwide version of Italy. I can't imagine that. Turning to sort of running real quick. Yeah. You know, you, you studied exercise and stuff, and I'm sure people have a lot of questions about running, like society sort of changing. You know, I went to the grocery two weeks ago. People were much closer. Now everyone's really spaced out. Even with running, people thought nothing about running, but certain countries are saying you can't run outside. As my think is like exercise is good for us when you need to get outside and exercise, keep your distance. But sort of what do you advise people specifically? My, uh, what I advise people to do is, is, is obviously follow the social distancing rules and whatever the prohibitions are. But, um, you know, as long as you can run by yourself and, and, uh, and or uh, I think it's fine. I don't think, you know, I think banning running is a bit draconian, provided people are out by themselves on a trail someplace and, and um, not exposing themselves uh, uh, to large numbers of individuals. Yeah, that makes but sense. But as, as I talked with Alex Hutchinson about, you know, God did make jump ropes for a reason. Jump ropes? Yeah. So what I'm, I've been glad, doing is, I'm, glad I don't, I'm glad I don't live in a city. I can go outside and still run. Because I don't run quite as much as I used to uh, just because of some foot pain. But I've been doing a lot of cycling, you know, on a trainer in my house uh, and uh, high-volume calisthenics, and I'm on a lot of conference calls, and I try to do a set of push-ups or pull-ups in between conference calls. Maybe that's why you're so fit. Do you have anything uh, else you no, sort of want to give you that? No, I, I think everybody, you know, I think the, the skill sets, you know, that have helped me um, be involved in the leadership of this program nationally are, are really skill sets I learned in distance running. One is to set intermediate goals. Two is to get up every day and try to take a bite out of the problem. And and three is to recognize not every day is going to be a good day. And then fourth, to understand, you know, um, uh, the general principles of interval training is to take a bite out of it, get some rest, come out and take another bite and so forth. So, so uh, uh, really tremendous transfer from my uh, long history, you know, over, over like 45 years now. I think I started when I was 15 or 16. Of, of endurance exercise has been very, very helpful as I try to help the uh, country attack this problem. Give them some of that distance running, I don't know what the word is, grit or determination. It is a good sort of model, I think, like you said. You know, you can go on a run, on any run, you might have some bad patches, but put one Correct. foot in front of another, you end up in a pretty right. good place, and especially two weeks later, you know, a month later. Bingo. And, and you have to learn to recognize not to get too hung up on, to the, you know, I mean, you obviously want to have every day be a good day, but a few bad days or a bad interval workout or a bad control run or whatever it is, you know, don't let that uh, get you down too far and, and, and just get up the next morning and go out for your morning run. And that's what I try to do. I get up, answer my emails, work out, drink some coffee, and then just get at it, you know, and, and uh, remain consistent. And, and again, the, the basic principles of, of interval training and distance running training, I apply every day as I try to help solve this problem. Well, thank you. And keep up the good fight. Yeah, yeah well, we'll we're gonna, hopefully we'll get a finger in the dike until we can, uh, the biotech and vaccine cavalry shows up. But, you know, I want to thank two people. You know, my, my the person who introduced me to running, Larry Schloss in Tucson, and also Dave Murray, my coach at the University of Arizona. They, those guys really taught me the basics of organization, intermediate goal setting, and how you can apply the lessons of, of endurance sports and distance running to the rest of your life. And I can't tell you, you know, 
40 years later, it's really paying off right now. That's all I can say. Yeah, we had some good mentors, and hopefully everybody can sort of apply those things to all areas of their life because, you know, I think, you know, yeah, being I, a runner, like, sometimes we're like, wait, why do we put so much into this little sport of running? But it teaches us such great lessons for correct. life. I really think it is. And, well, then what I tell people that I work with is don't permit what you cannot do to interfere with what you can do. And that's the other thing you learn in running. Good advice. Well, hopefully we'll be able to catch up. uh, Yeah, talk about running like a track race or a marathon. Yeah, exactly. Well, the next time, hopefully we'll be able to catch up on this topic. And when this topic uh, dies down, we can talk about the Olympic marathon or something like that uh, for next year. Yeah, sounds good. All right, we'll see you later. Thanks so much. Keep up the good fight. Thank you. See you later. Bye. Bye.